Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about ideas and issues using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Yeah, hello. And today, we are joined by special guest, Danielle. Hello, I'm Danielle. Dan couldn't make it today. He's trapped in the Upside Down, but we'll figure that out later. Today, we're going to be talking about Stranger Things and our treatment as a society of child stars. So, spoiler alert for Stranger Things. Please, sit back, relax, or, if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, uh, Stranger Things came out a little bit ago, but I still am willing to talk about it because it's so good. What do you guys think of Stranger Things? I'm a huge fan. Um, definitely when season one came out, I watched it like in the span of a week. And when season two came out, I watched it in one weekend. So, it's definitely up there. I do not think that it's overrated. Anyone who does is wrong, or they're entitled to their opinion, whichever one is more <laughs> politically correct. Yeah, I love pretty much anything horror, so as soon as this came out with season one, I was so excited. So when season two came out, I was even more excited. I really enjoyed Stranger Things 1. People told me, oh, I binged it in a week. I watched it in one sitting. For whatever reason, I couldn't do that for Stranger Things 1. Uh, it took me until maybe like the last two or three episodes to really be like, oh man, I need to find out what happens next. Stranger Things 2, though, wow. I was hooked very, very quickly. Oh yeah, I agree. At least with the Stranger Things too. I was hooked from the beginning of season one. I just knew that I, I was going to digest this story very quickly. And so I was pretty invested from the get-go. I really liked the escalation between season one and two. Like season one really wrapped it all up really well and tied a mm -hmm. bow on it. And then ripped the gift wrap off within the last 15 to 20 minutes of the last episode. Which I thought was really clever in that they weren't sure if they were going to have a season two. So let's have a nice ending. But let's realize that there is so much potential for season two. Let's show you some of the potential consequences if you're willing to let us produce this next season. Yeah, when season one ended, I was like, you're kidding. That's how you're going to end it. Now I have to wait a year for season two to come out. But <laughs> um, it was worth it because season two, I was hooked the whole time. I really like when they're released, even though it's a year apart. But it's always right around my birthday. <laughs> um, so it's always like a little gift to me from yeah. Netflix. <laughs> Are you sure it's not right around Halloween? Is that what they're going for? Or is it around your birthday that they're... Correlation does not necessarily <laughs> equal causation. They know it's your birthday. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's for Halloween, but my birthday happens to be around Halloween, so I get to interpret it however I want. <laughs> All right. Up to you. Um, so I'll say I enjoyed season two more than I enjoyed season one, and I think they took the story in a very intelligent direction. I think... I had the sense almost that they saved ideas for season two, even though when I watched season one, I didn't even fathom any of those ideas. Like, for example, the main villain in season one was the Demogorgon, and like it was really big and really scary, and like I was frightened enough by one thing. And then in season two, they sort of shrank the Demogorgon into a demodog and then produced like hundreds of them. And so it was a really smart escalation. And then on top of that, there was that mind flayer, the whole like scary aspect. Mm -hmm. um, about the Demodogs, uh, Doug Demodog, owner of the Dimsdale Demodogs, <laughs> um, 
that is sort of a video game trope. Um, like you'll fight a boss and then once you fight the boss once, it'll just be peppered in as like a normal enemy that you have to beat up all the time. So it's very, it was a very cool idea of, oh, the Demogorgon is this big unstoppable monster. How do we make that scarier? Okay, make it a little bit easier to beat, but now they're just all <laughs> over the place. Right. It's just and, as worse. <laughs> and then there's the potential in season three for all those demodogs to become demogorgons. And so now we'd have a <clears throat> bunch of demogorgons and it's just, it's a smart escalation. And like, vil same like villain wise, but the humans, I hated Max's brother. I forget his name at the moment. Uh, Billy, I believe. Billy. I, the whole time I was like, get off. <laughs> I can't. He was like so bad, but I love that. Like I love watching a villain and hating him or her so much. I was convinced that was Zac Efron. Like when I saw the trailer, I was like, Zac Efron's in Stranger Things. No, that's that's the Red Ranger. Oh gosh. Um, but yeah, he, him and Max. Even though I don't know if you're supposed to hate Max, it was very much like, oh man, I really can't stand this character. Yeah. But I guess that's the point. So like, they're doing a phenomenal job. Exactly. Yeah. I personally loved Billy. I was. He is so hot. I thought I thought he was a nice antagonist to Steve as Steve mm -hmm. like tries right. to learn to like he was he was almost like his own villain in season one. He was yeah. he was was always fighting against himself and sort of deciding whether he was going to be a good guy or a bad guy. Um, and I really liked Billy's they sort of sprinkled in an opportunity for redemption later on when they reveal his father being like the abusive father that he is and sort of not necessarily justifies Billy's actions, but gives a, a motivation to it that once it's tangible, like once he's not evil for the sake of being evil or a villain for the sake of being a villain, now all of a sudden there's an opportunity for him to have a Steve-like arc in season mm -hmm. three where he becomes one of the good guys. Um, I'm thinking a lot of the Fast and Furious franchise yeah, and I could see that happening because when Max, like, finally stood up for herself and, like, threatened him, whatever, at the end, you see that, like, short moment where they, like, make eye contact and he just, like, doesn't say anything instead of always going to, like, antagonize her like he did throughout the whole season. So I think that was a little, like, I'm not sure if, if it's going to mean he's going to be on their side or just get worse in the next yeah. season. Mm -hmm. But It reminds me of, like, Game of Thrones where... They have that terrifying White Walker looming villain coming in, but all of the humans are still fighting with each other, and they're all their own like worst enemy. And it's I like that discrepancy and that separation of no matter how bad monsters get, humans are also monsters. Yes. Going off that, I don't want to call Dustin a monster, but I thought it was very interesting that his friend was kidnapped into another dimension. They had to fight a monster. He finds a monster in his <laughs> trash can, and his first thought, probably because he's a young boy, was, oh, this thing is awesome. Let me take it inside my house. <laughs> Even though it's like, you know monsters exist. Yeah. This thing looks like a monster. It's probably a monster. He's just progressive. He recognizes that monsters aren't monsters by default. They get turned into them due to their environment. That's true. Just like Props people. to you, Dustin. 
<laughs> Monsters are people too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely, if I had to nitpick what I didn't like about Stranger <clears throat> Things too, first I'd have to point out how great of an arc Steve had and how he became the the beautiful mother for the kids <laughs> that the kids deserved and that he deserved to be. And it was an incredible arc. And then due to that, I compared all of the other people's arcs and I thought to myself, wow, Nancy and Jonathan, their arc barely grew. And like anytime they were on screen, I almost felt like they were filler episodes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I didn't I didn't care for their progression and the will they don't they I don't think was used very efficiently, but I'm really hoping that they they come back to it for season three. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Nancy, but the will they won't they with her and Jonathan happens and then is dropped. Like nothing came yeah. of, nothing came of their storyline. It just kind of was there. Yeah, I mean the storyline of them exploring like a way to rat out the company and like get them in trouble panned out somewhat mm -hmm. but i enjoyed that scene where they tell the journalist like what actually happened mm -hmm. and he's like well no one's gonna believe that we have to figure out a way to tell this story so that the truth comes out but also so that people will believe it i thought that was really cool but again like that was it that was it yeah. that was the one part that it happened mm -hmm. i was excited because i love jonathan he's if not my favorite character, one of my favorites. And I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then it kind of fell short, almost like that was it. So it was just, that was what I was disappointed in, that there wasn't too much right. with him. Agreed. Uh, Joyce was absolutely phenomenal and stunning in season yes. one. And she was on par with mm -hmm. her season one performance in season two. It didn't improve, but probably because there is barely enough room to improve at, right. to the performance she gave in season one. Um, I made my mom watch Stranger Things, and she watched, I think, two episodes. And from Joyce's performance, my mom was like, oh, I'm going to cry during this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, probably. She, I think she really evokes like what a mom would actually do. The depth. The, the depth. Is that what I was looking for? The depths someone would go to. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the depths that a mother would go to to protect and or find their child is portrayed very well in season one and in season two. I remember um, first seeing the trailer for Stranger Things. The bulk of it is Joyce going to the police and saying that her son's missing. And the police are like, oh, sorry, like, you have to wait this long before we go searching for them. And then she sees a wall of, like, missing children, and she's like, well, their parents waited, and so I'm not going to. Yeah. So I think she gives a phenomenal performance of just a desperate mother that is going to go to a different dimension to get her son back. Yeah, and that Winona Ryder herself is just, mm. like, an, like, that shows that you could still be an amazing actress after like years and years like she started out pretty young mm -hmm. now she's a little older yeah. and um she's still amazing and speaking of young the kids give some of the best performances in this show oh yeah i think um 11 is probably my favorite character from the mm -hmm. show and millie bobby brown the actress that plays her is what like 13 14 years yeah. old 
and she's just they're all phenomenal but her in particular i think is just like a rock star i know she's an actress but (laughs) yeah she's awesome i love um finn wolfhard as an actor Mm. i think he is really millie belby brown is obviously too but i my favorite of the kids would have to be um finn wolfhard's character i think he's just a super talented actor Mm -hmm. and he was great in it too oh yeah even though it's a similar story like kids Mm -hmm. a group of kids fighting a supernatural evil um his character in it i can't remember his name richie 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 in it and mike in stranger things are kind of like flip sides like mike is very shy richie's like a loud mouth yeah and he was able to do both fantastically yeah. One thing I'm hoping in season three is that we get to see Will Byers' character, uh, who's yeah. played by Noah Schnapp, mm-hmm. um, not just be a victim of supernatural things and people are trying to save him again. I'm really hoping the third time around he'll really get a chance to explore <laughs> his, what his personality would be like after the trauma. Yeah. Because he was just overcoming the trauma and then he was like re-traumatized. And he plays it so well. Like, it's it's a great performance, again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to see that character and explore mm-hmm. that character outside of that victim aspect. Yeah, definitely. I'll also mention, like, Lucas and Dustin. I liked their um, sort of battle to see who's going to win over Max. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cute. And it was a nice added layer to the story. I don't think it was necessary. But it was interesting to drop a new character into the kids world and see how it affects the the friendships that exist there and you get to watch each one of them grow in their own way because of it i liked with that lucas versus dustin over max it wasn't okay like she's gonna be into both of them but she has to end up with one of them which one it's gonna be off the bat it's kind of transparent that if she's ending up with one of them it's gonna be lucas so it's it's still like, oh, it's like her choice. It's not just, oh, she has to be with one of them and make her final choice, like, subjectively at the end because both are great. It's like, no, she likes Lucas, and so she's going to choose to go out with Lucas. And I like how through that, like, Dustin and Steve's relationship Mm -hmm. got stronger. I thought that was, like, the cutest thing. Uh, When he drove him to the dance at the end. And his uh, hair was, like, the same as Steve's. I was like, (laughs) oh, my heart. I really like that stand by me moment in Stranger Things where they were walking on the railroad and they're both sort of heartbroken. Um, Steve for being like a jerk in season one and Dustin just sort of because he put too much attention and dart. Um, And Steve, who sort of is put into a paternal situation, doesn't actually know how to handle it. And so he gives the best advice that he knows. And it's awful advice. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, and it, and that was so cute to me of like, he's really trying because he's, that's what he learned, but it's incorrect. And they sort of grow together seeing that trial and error aspect of, oh, you like her? Just ignore her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I think um, the Stranger Things cast, like the kids, I often get a sense of when there's a child actor on screen I give them the benefit of the doubt of, oh, I mean, their performance was good for a child. Yeah. Yeah, but but when I watch Stranger Things, like, it's like, oh, their performance is good, period. Yeah. 
their performance is better than some adult actors. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that could prove to be a bit problematic in the sense of treating them like adults. For example, um, Alex, you have the more info on this, the Finn Wolfhart fan oh, tweeted yeah. something about him. Yeah, so there was a a fan that tried to get a picture with Finn Wolfhard and he sort of like walked away from the situation and she tweeted, imagine being 14 and heartless that you can't even stop for your fans who made you famous in the first place. Wow. And a lot of stars came, came to Finn's defense and was like, what's wrong with you woman? He's a child. (laughs) Um, and I totally agree. Like, I read that tweet really biasly, of course, but it's very entitled to just believe that you deserve someone else's time because you happen to know them. Like, they don't know you at all. Mm-hmm. And that concept of I made you famous because I'm a fan of you really doesn't make sense because you're a fan of him because of how well he acts. So his talents made him famous. It wasn't you who supported him. Yeah, and, like, we give adult celebrities that benefit most of the time. Like, when people, when paparazzi take pictures of, like, Chris Hemsworth or um, Scarlett Johansson, it's like, oh, like, give them privacy, blah, blah, blah. But now this child star, all of a sudden, oh, like, how, how could you not... Give me the time of day. How dare you? Yeah, you're an adult doing that to a child star. Like, their passion isn't to give you every free second they have. Their passion is to act or sing or whatever they might be doing. Right, and they can be kind to their fans, but still give themselves their own time that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, Sophie Turner, who plays Sansa in uh, Game of Thrones, because she started... When she was 15, she mentions that, like, these kids, any child actor, like, they happen to be an actor, but they're children first. And just because they consent to being filmed professionally doesn't mean that they consent to being followed around with a camera in their face. And obviously that can be true for all actors. Like, it's really unfair to say, like, well, you're an actor, expect paparazzi to follow you. That's just where the job is going to take you and if you can't handle it don't be an actor but it's especially true for children Mm -hmm. yeah because they're not like equipped for this and that reminds me of there was like a headline for the stranger things to premiere i believe and it was like millie bobby brown is here all grown up and mara wilson who was matilda in the movie matilda she was like, she's 13 years old. She's not all grown up. She's literally just beginning her teen years. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and that, um, I think, is a very prevalent problem of treating them as adults. I know the one story in particular of um, the W Magazine cover saying, hottest TV stars and why TV is sexier than ever and Millie Bobby Brown was on that list, which A, is objectifying in general. B, she's a child. Yeah. There's no reason she should be on that list. And adults made that list. So yeah. that just makes yeah, it disgusting. It'd be one thing if it was like Teen Vogue and she was on there. 
but a magazine for and by adults yeah. put her on this list. It's an issue. It's, it's definitely uncomfortable because I've definitely grown up in a, in a culture where flirtation and sexualization is a form of flattery and compliments. Like, so this idea of like adults flirting with children is supposed to be like playful of like, ooh, like, haha. Like, we're saying that once you turn 18, like, we'd get with you is really, really creepy. But people perceive it as, no, I'm complimenting you. I'm saying mm-hmm. I'd be willing to bang you. Get it? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, there was um, a Stranger Things panel where that exact thing happened. Um, the announcer or host was bringing up all the actors. And when Finn Wolfhart went up, she said... Something along the lines of, oh, when you're 18, give me a call. And someone interviewed Finn Wolfhart after that happened. And they were like, what did you think of that? And he, again, a child, was like, yeah, like, it was awkward. I tried to laugh it off. But, like, I was very uncomfortable. Like, she's an adult. Why is she saying something like that? So it's interesting that these kids have better sense than some of the adults (laughs) that are, like, sexualizing them. Yeah, and the fact that he even had a voice to comment on how he felt is already more than a lot of kids have. Like, Mm -hmm. his opportunity to say, like, oh, it made me uncomfortable, but I tried to shrug it off, is an opportunity for us to talk about it, whereas so many kids, like, might get sexualized, and it's uncomfortable for them, and they internalize it, and they don't know how to process it, and it results in a lot of long-term psychological consequences as they get older and how they understand sexuality. Yeah, so I like how, like, all this, like, and all the adult stars that we had just mentioned are, like, sticking up for them and being like, that's not okay, so then future child stars won't have to go through this. Yeah, uh, I'm reminded of this interview that I saw with Daniel Radcliffe, and I'm really going to butcher it, so I'm just going to (laughs) say, paraphrased it, but basically... The interviewer is talking to Daniel Radcliffe and like asking him like what's it like to be sort of like so sexualized and becoming like a sex symbol of this generation and Daniel Radcliffe sort of retorts in a in a way that's like Emma Watson has been sexualized as Hermione since she was 13 or 14 like why didn't a single person ask her what that was like one she's a child two she's a woman like what what stopped you from saying hey, maybe this is not a good thing. And also that aspect of when he was asked that question, he was almost asked it again as a compliment. Like, oh, you're a sex symbol. What's that like? Ooh, must be fun. And he immediately turns it around and is like, one, it's not fun. And two, why are you asking me an adult when you should be asking like children who get sexualized all the time? Right. So yeah, um, basically what we're all trying to get at is these kids should be respected as adults because their performances are great, but don't treat them like adults. They're still kids. Don't put them on a top sexiest TV star list. Don't pretend like they owe you anything because you enjoy the show that they're on. They're still kids. They're still people and they deserve respect. Um, And I think like we could take like just a moment to remember like people like Miley Cyrus, Britney Spears, like all all of these child stars that sort of get forced into situations. And when you hear, and I strongly suggest you look up interviews 
of any adults that started off as child stars and read or hear about these nightmarish stories of the stress levels that get put on them, especially like there are laws put in place to protect these child stars of like certain hours that they're allowed to work. But those laws get manipulated in a way where it causes even more stress of, well, since you can only work this number of hours, you have to work this number of hours and there are fewer breaks and it, you're always on and everything like feels rushed and you get like this expectation put on you of produce for us rather mm -hmm. than follow your passion of acting. Yeah, and even once these stars like grow up past their like Disney phase or whatever it may be, they're still expected to like act as if they're still a part of that. Like mm -hmm. Miley Cyrus for so long, people were like, oh, but you're Hannah Montana. Why are you doing this or doing this? And she's like, that's not me. That was a, a role I played when I was like 14 years old. Right, and you could think about one of the reasons she did all of those like sexual content like footage things is to break away as far away from that Disney persona that she originally had just so that she can swing back to like where she actually wanted to be which is my guess right now where she is yeah mm -hmm. and that shouldn't have to happen just to please yeah she shouldn't audience. have to swing that wrecking ball <laughs> or swing that uh, nice. thank you <laughs> she wouldn't have to she shouldn't have to swing that pendulum so far to the other side just so that we can accept that she's no longer a disney star that's it for this episode thank you all so much for listening please tune in next week when we talk about when we first met and different theories about time travel if you like us please follow us on twitter and instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on facebook Thank you all again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.